Good. Well, I'm excited to be here and be back here, able to teach. Um, I haven't been able to teach in Mobile since I was sitting here and looking at a camera. Um, And so I enjoy that um, we're able to come back together and fellowship together and and be together. Um, And just so excited about what the Word has for us this morning as we work through it. If you're visiting with us at Mars Hill today, we've been working through the book of John, and today we're going to finish up John chapter 15 and move into John chapter 16. So let's dive into this straight away. John 15, starting with verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I've told them to you. So we've been working through uh, John 15 for the last couple of weeks. And if you remember, um, verses 1 through 17, we see this metaphor of the vine and the branches and being connected to Jesus. And the disciples are instructed to continue to live rooted in him. And then when we got to verse 15, I mean, chapter, um, chapter 15, verse 18, we see this really start turning dark, right? 15, 18 said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated you. It has hated me before it hates you. And in 15, 18 through 15, 25, we see that the followers of Christ are going to not only be persecuted, as we see elsewhere in Scripture, they're actually going to be hated. And the reason that they're going to be hated is because the world hates whom they serve. And so the world hates God, therefore it's going to hate those who follow him. It's almost like Jesus is saying, look, they're not only going to hate you for what you do and how you live, they're going to hate you because of who you serve. And we see this throughout all of history, right? Think about the persecution that people have faced living in concert with the Lord. I mean, we can look at the life of the disciples, right? Was their whole life smooth sailing? Far from it, right? Think of the book of Acts. What happened to Stephen, right? He's stoned. Move way forward. Look at the reformers. Look at those who sought to reform the church. Think of those who were killed as a result of standing firm on the truths of Scripture. This is something that happens over and over throughout history. And the question that's going to be asked today is how did they bear that? And then we're going to get the answer. By whom did they bear it? How did they bear it? If we're persecuted to that degree, how will we bear it? We're going to see that in today's passage. So let's dive into this and start tearing it apart verse by verse. We're going to kind of start in the middle. We're going to start at 16.1 and kind of work our way out. So let's look at this. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So we know that we've been in this section of warning, right? Jesus has been saying, look, these things are going to happen. Things aren't going to always be good. They're not going to be great. These things are going to happen. And so this is Jesus warning them against a possible outcome that could come as a result of their persecution. And what does he say in this warning? He's warning them to keep them from falling away. Now, at first reading, it would be very easy to read this and say, what's Jesus talking about here? 
Is he talking about you losing your salvation? Is he talking about an instance of apostasy, maybe where they didn't really believe and they're walking away? And I think that as we explore this verse just a little bit and we look at other instances where this language is used, it's going to bring complete clarity as to what Jesus was talking about. I think the first thing that we need to do is look at the word that is translated to fall away in this passage. It's a form of the word scandalizo. This is where we get the word scandalous or scandal from in the English language. When we look at it in extra biblical text, we see that it means spring upon, to slam shut as with a trap, a snare, an obstacle of stumble, to be caught unaware, to be offended. And so when we look at this, maybe this gives us key in the understanding what Jesus is talking about here. And I also think that if we look at elsewhere in Scripture where a form of this word is used, it's going to bring clarity to our minds too. If we look at Matthew 26, 30 through 35, we see a form of this word used. It's also used in the same instance in Mark, but we're just going to read the one in Matthew. Listen to this where we see this word used again and see if we can't see what the Lord was telling his followers. Look at this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. So he's talking to all the disciples that are there with him. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, when we read this, we understand what comes after this, right? What did Peter do? He, he denied Christ. He was given the opportunity to be a witness for Christ. He was given the opportunity to bring testimony to Christ. But yet he said, no, I don't know the guy. Do we say that Peter, you know, was, just ran away and never came back? Do we say that, that Peter was lost after this? We don't say that. What we say is that he was surprised. He was caught. He became ineffective, In that moment, he did not uphold to his purpose. He fell away. And so when we look at this passage, Jesus is not warning us, make sure that you're ready for this or you're going to lose your salvation. He says, make sure that you're ready for this so that you don't become ineffective in that time. You don't lose your purpose. You don't don't lose the testimony that you're supposed to bring about me. You don't lose your witness. And how do we know that this isn't connected to salvation? Well, we know that it's not connected to salvation because as we study through Scripture, we see that salvation is assured in the person of Christ. It's not something that we can simply lose. Look at this. Let's look in the book of John. John 10, 37 says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 39, I lose nothing of all that the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In 10, uh, John 10, 27 through 29, we see Jesus reiterating that this is eternal. This isn't temporary. This isn't something that goes away. It's not something that when you receive, it'll perish. It's eternal. See, the consistent witness of Scripture is that salvation is not a temporary thing. That life, that rescue, that redemption is safe, it's secure, it's held in the hands of God. 
And so understand that as we get into this passage, Jesus is not warning them to be ready for persecution so that they, so they won't lose their salvation. He's saying be ready so that you don't become ineffective in what you are called to do. So when we read this in context, we can see that this is falling away. Jesus is saying, look, don't be caught unaware. Don't lose your purpose. These bad things are going to happen. But don't get caught off guard. Don't get snared. Don't lose your witness. And if the disciples wondered about the severity of the persecution that was to come, Jesus is going to clear that up for us, starting in verse 2. Look at this. It says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I've told them to you. So Jesus is saying, be prepared. This is not going to be a time that's easy to endure. Be prepared. It's going to come. I'm telling you in advance so that when they come, you are ready. That language that's here being put out of the synagogue, we don't need to think about that as simply leave the church. We don't need to think about that as simply someone saying, you're not welcome here anymore. And you say, okay, I'll go down the street to the other church. We live in the South. There's churches on every corner, sometimes two. It's not about that. When we talk about being put out of the synagogue, what's being spoken of is being removed from society. Because think about in this time, you, you had to be able to go and get clean. You had to be able to go and give offering for your sin. You had, like this was society. For the Jews, th their society, their politics, everything was centered around these religious acts to God. And so to be put out of the synagogue would be complete social, political, economic, and even family separation in this time. This is excommunication from society. And so this is a very severe punishment. Jesus is warning that you will be put out. You will be disassociated even to the point of death, and those that do this to you, those that push you out, those that even kill you, are going to feel like they're honoring God in their action. And, and so this is not as simple and clean as maybe we've read this before. This isn't just about you can't come back here anymore. It's that you're not welcome. You're not welcome here. What would this be like today? Can, can, we, can we translate this from first century to today. And I think that we can. I think we can relatively easily. Uh, think about in our society as Christians, if we stand against the norm and we're business owners, people immediately say, you know, don't, don't go there. Don't do business with those people. We can be cast out of political arenas if we begin to stand for the truths of God's word. They can say, no, you're not part of us. Now, it's not to the degree that we saw in the first century yet, but don't be disillusioned that that will never come because it might. It probably will. I don't know whose lifetime it's going to be in. I don't know if it's going to be ours in this room. I don't know if it's going to be my grandkids. My grand I don't know when it's going to happen. But we see that persecution is going to come to a great degree as a result of the gospel. So as the Jews abandon worship of the one true God for religiosity, our society, our culture, our nation has abandoned the worship of the one true God for our ideology and political stances. 
Think about that. When we're put out today because of standing for God, we're put out in the name of God. They just call it something different, right? Because people say, oh, you can't do that because that's wrong. Well, I'm, I'm following the truths of scripture. See, people are pushing you out because of their sense of righteousness, because of what is right. Uh, understand, guys, and this is hard. This is hard to understand um, for, for people that haven't watched it happen. But understand that in America, right now, we're pretty much forced to pick a side. Are, are you a donkey or an elephant? Are you a Democrat or a Republican? You got to pick. Well, I'm, I'm going to stand on the truths of Scripture, and we're going to see on the issues. No, you can't do that. Pick a side. Well, I guess I'm one of these then. The other side says, I hate you because you're one of those. And then when you're talking to your side and you disagree with them, oh, you're just a one of them in disguise. Uh, understand that as a Christ follower, we're not going to line up 100% with the ideology of fallen man. And we can't. And because of that, we will endure persecution to a certain degree. Be ready for it. Understand it. And we don't like that. <laughs> we don't want to be put out in America. We don't want anybody to not like us. Right? In America, we're supposed to all be happy, right? The American dream. We've got two cars in the driveway. We've got our dog running around. We've got our 2.5 kids. I've only got two, so I'm not quite living the American dream yet. Um, but that's our idea. And when we start talking about persecution... Oh, that doesn't line up with my mental picture of the picket fence. That doesn't line up with my mental picture of everyone's got to like me. Understand that it's not about everyone liking you. It's about standing up for the truths of Scripture. Dr. Herbert Hendon wrote a book called The Age of Sensation, A Psychoanalytic Exploration into the Youth of the 1970s. You ever say the title of a book and feel smarter after you say it? I do. Um, but he, he said this, listen, guys, th there couldn't be more truth than this. Listen, it's no accident that at the present time, the dominant trends in psychoanalysis include the rediscovery of narcissism. The society is marked by self-interest and egocentrism that increasingly reduces all relationships to the question, what am I getting out of it? Guys, when we look at Christianity and the history of Christianity, even in my lifetime. Guys, in, in, in the 1990s, you guys will remember this if you're old enough to, that like it was the correct thing to do. It, it was gonna advantage you in your business life if you could connect with a certain church. Well, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a member of so-and-so church and people would, oh, well, they, they're an honest. You, politically advantageous. You guys remember, um, again, if you're old enough, some of you guys aren't. But politicians, one of the first things that you used to hear out of their mouth is, I'm a member of so-and-so church. Like they would begin connecting with that. It was advantageous. And out of that, what did we do? We started looking at Christianity as something that's supposed to make us healthy, wealthy, wise, and happy. We're supposed to get something out of this in this life. But understand that when we look at biblical Christianity, very often the result of biblical Christianity is going to be persecution and getting set aside. And we have to understand that because if we're not ready and people start persecuting us because of our beliefs, we might think we're the ones doing something wrong. I better shut my mouth. 
That's what Jesus is warning his disciples against. And that's what's being screamed to us 2,000 years later. Is that standing for the truth of scripture will bring persecution. This is hard. This is hard to understand. Jesus is telling us these things so we will not fall away. I'm very happy, though, that this passage doesn't end just like this. I'm glad that Jesus didn't say, hey, you're going to be crushed. It's going to be hard. You're probably even going to be killed. Have a nice day. He, he didn't do that. We're going to be given the means by which to withstand this because we can't. Watch this. John 15, 26, 27 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will bear witness about me because you've been with me from the beginning. This is a reminder to the disciples. Hey, remember, you've been with me from the beginning. You've heard the teaching. You've seen the miracles. You've seen these things. Be a witness for them. Now, for us, in our minds, we like to judge the past. We're really, really good at this. Well, if I'd seen Jesus walk on water, there's no way I would have ever denied him. If I would have seen him heal a blind man, raise the dead, turn water to wine, if I would have seen these things, there's no way that I would ever deny them. But understand that we can't look back and say we would never do that because we saw people do that that saw the very miracles of Jesus and then got caught and stumbled and fell. And Jesus is giving this warning to his disciples saying, look, don't fall away. This is going to be hard. John 15, 27, if we read that straight through the 16 one, it says, you will also bear witness about me because you've been with me from the beginning. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. We can see that when we connect those two, that that's what Jesus is talking about, right? It's going to be very hard. Understand, do not lose your witness. Don't be trapped. Don't be caught off guard. Don't let your testimony be hindered. Now, the disciples were able to hold the faith. Now, you may say, wait a minute. You remember when they said that they would all fall away in the upper room and Peter denied Christ? How are you saying that they didn't fall away? Think about this in terms of everything, the big picture. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit was given. And what did they do? They came down from the upper room and began to profess, witness, testify boldly. And how did they do that? They were enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. So see, it's something that on our own, we would fail epically. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, witnessing to us and witnessing through us, we can stand, but not because of our strength, but because of his. One commentator says, over against this refusal to acknowledge him, Jesus now points to the great counterweight that will vindicate him against the world. The coming and the work of the paraclete, the spirit of truth. So the work of the Holy Spirit is going to bring the proof, the evidence of the words of Christ. And this is intended to bring us comfort. And how does it bring us comfort? How does it do that? Because the Holy Spirit is going to always, he is always going to point to Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to point to Christ. And not only that, there are acts that the Holy Spirit is going to do in us and through us and in our lives. 
Look at this. It says, when they do not know what to say, the Holy Spirit will speak for them. When they do not know what to do, the Holy Spirit will lead them. When they do not even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will guide them. And, and it doesn't just end there. Jesus says that, that, it, that the Holy Spirit will witness to you to encourage you and then through you. So think about the hope in that. Think about the hope for those who even would persecute you. You're encouraged through the Holy Spirit to stand firm on the truths of the Lord. And then you share those. The person that's persecuting you is going to hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit can be witnessed through that. And it's encouraging. It's so encouraging for both sides. Now, when I read this whole section, when I read the Upper Room Discourse, chapter 13 through 17, this whole section here where Jesus is, is teaching intimately to his disciples, there's a whole lot of people that have pulled different things out of it and said, hey, this is the main point, this is the main point, this is it. I want to share you, with you what I always see when I read this section. Uh, for me, this whole thing orbits around one thing. And the thing that it orbits around is John 14, 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Think, think about that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why are we being told all these things? Why are we being told that, that if we stay connected to Jesus, that we'll have life and we'll bear fruit? Why are we being told that things are going to get difficult, but the Holy Spirit will stand with us? Why are we being told all these things? Why are the disciples being told, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. There's going to be a helper, one to come alongside. Why are all these things told? Because I don't want your hearts to be troubled. I've got this. Any persecution that you face, if you understand it in context of everything, understand that it's temporary. The salvation that is brought through Christ Jesus is eternal. And so if we understand that, when you're in the middle of a storm, you can't see anything else, right? But if we can keep our minds set that eternity is so much bigger, that the blessings of God are so much bigger, that there's something outside of this we can endure by the power of the Holy Spirit who is going to keep our focus on the things that matters. The Holy Spirit will remind us, and we must remember, Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the good shepherd. He's the vine. He's the living water. He's the resurrection. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. The Holy Spirit will remind us of these things that we've studied. And that will bring encouragement to us and keep our focus on God. Now, as a result of this message, as a result of what Scripture is speaking to us, I think that there's a couple of things that we need to focus on and some things that as families we can go home and we can talk about and we can discuss. I think the first question that can bring up some discussion at home is, is being a Christ follower always going to be easy? Why or why not? You know, we can talk about that in context of this passage. What, what did Jesus say? 
Another one is which person of the one true God walks with us and gives us power to be witnesses no matter the circumstance and how. We can talk about that. Where does our strength come from? Where does our hope come from? Where does our life come from? How, how are we empowered to not just fall and crumble because we know we will on our own strength? We can discuss these things. We can reflect on these things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you help our hearts and our minds be settled no matter the circumstances in our life, no matter the difficulties that come our way. Lord, let us always stand to be witnesses for you to the testimony of the truth of your word. Lord, I know that things are, are much more difficult in places around the world than they are here. And so I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are facing extreme persecution. Lord, that you comfort them with your spirit. Lord, that they look to you, that they see eternal things. And Lord, that they not fall away. That they endure in their testimony and in their faith. And in our country, we have a tremendous amount of freedoms to be able to, to testify and be able to stand on your word. Lord, don't let us take those for granted. Lord, prepare us that if things do get more difficult, that we're ready to testify to who you are, even unto death if necessary. God, let not our hearts be troubled at the message that things can get hard and will be hard, but Lord, let it be encouraged knowing that you didn't leave us alone. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, interceding for us, bringing to our remembrance the things that you've done, the things you've taught us. Lord, we pray that we take our rest in that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.